Hello Slumber Party Partners, this is Hannah coming to you with a quick announcement before this week's episode. Lizzie and I very recently switched podcast distributing networks. Hopefully you will have not noticed and the transition will have been seamless and perfect. Um, and the only real change is that now at the end of our episodes, in my little spiel, I will say this episode has been distributed by Acast instead of distributed by Anchor. However, if you listen to any of our old repertoire, our old episodes that were recorded before May of 2023, the ending will still say Anchor because I don't have the skills nor the time to go back and change our old outros. So just, if you listen to any episode between episode 1 and episode 53, just know that I'm lying at the end. The episode is now been distributed by Acast. Thank you to Acast and thank you to you. Please enjoy this week's episode about little women. Welcome back to the Slumber Party Pod. I'm Lizzie. And I'm Hannah. And welcome to our April Book Club. Adaptation in April's coming to an end. Um, and Ooh. we are talking about perhaps, what did Sam call it? The most important uh, piece of literature for girls ever? What did he call it? I have no idea. <laughs> You're the one who he talked to. Sam doesn't talk to me. Well, I don't know your life. I don't know, Hannah, you DM people expeditiously. Yes, yeah, celebrities, not your friends. Not your friends from high school. I'm not in BFF Jill's DMs. Hi, Jill. Um, anyway, Sam said something about, and he's right, that this is an important text for small girls like ourselves. Tiny ladies. Little Women by Louise May Alcott. Now, what did Sam say? Well, uh, enemy of the pod, Sam, um, thought that we were going to ask him to come on and talk about Little Women. Um, and he said, you know, I'm really, I really don't think that I should be taking part in that, you know, that conversation because this book is so much about sisterhood and, you know, the experience of young women and girls, and, like, I have nothing to say about that, nor should I say anything about that. Yeah. Um, and we said, don't worry, we weren't going to ask you anyways. And he said, oh, okay, all right. Yeah. But, but yes, yeah, so we read Louisa May Alcott's classic novel, Little Women, Much Beloved, read by generations of young women in America and worldwide. And now, by us. And now by us. Well, okay, so Lizzie and I were clarifying this. I don't remember if it was before or after we started recording, so I'm just going to say it now so I don't have to edit yeah. it. Um, Lizzie didn't realize, I hadn't made it clear, that this was my first time fully reading this book. Mm-hmm. I had read an abridged version as a kid and have obviously seen, like, the film adaptation, Adaptation mm-hmm. April. But this was my first time, like, fully reading, like, the unabridged 47 chapter it's long book 47 mm-hmm. page um lizzie you said you've read this like a hundred times it's important to you 
yeah, I read this book for the first time um, in fifth grade, um, which was fun because I read it when I was learning how to be a sister because it was right after Maggie was born. And it's a book all about sisters. Um, And I think that's part of the reason that, like, I had a teacher recommend it to me. Um, And I read it, and I was like, oh, that was very good. I liked that a lot. Um, And then I read it again the next year, like, for a project. And then I kind of, like, just kept reading it once a year for one one reason or another. And now I've just been reading it, <laughs> like, once a year. Oh. Inexplicably. I don't know that I'll ever actually, well, I don't want to say ever. I don't know that this is going to be, like, a rereading kind of book for me. Because sure. it's dense. It's long. It is. I do love the story. Yes. Um. But, yeah, it's a thicky. Also, I was texting Lizzie a little bit as I was finishing it, because I finished it just today. Like, I read the last couple chapters today. And I, there are parts of the book that I don't like as much as I like the film adaptations. Okay, well, and so I want to clarify. Well, I, when I'm talking about the film adaptations, I'm going to be talking mostly about the 2019 Greta Gerwig adaptation, because that's well, the one... I like the most and have the most knowledge of. Yeah. I don't know if you're more of like a what was the one like 1994 uh Winona Ryder. favorite. Yeah. I am a fan of that one admittedly. Um is that, that your favorite? I don't know. So I, what I was going to say Hannah what you were just saying about you don't think this is a book you'll reread but you like the story. Mhm. I think that is the reason that there have been so many adaptations and relatively successful adaptations of yeah. this particular story into so many media forms because it's been filmed, yeah. it's been short series, it is famously a Broadway musical starring that starred Sutton Foster as Joe March. Yes. Um, astonishing. I well, also was surprised by how many times they said astonishing in the book. I was like, well that's where they got it from. It's they really you know what can we pause for a second because i yeah. realized i did take a couple of notes and they're in my bag downstairs so i'm gonna run and go oh, get my book because that. i'm gonna pull up some research okay i watched a video in preparation too Ooh. i ran down to get my stuff and i think my mom thought we were done recording so she just started talking to me and i just ran away <laughs> oh Sorry, Mom. And back to what we were saying. I was watching, like, some interviews and stuff, like, with Greta Gerwig, actually, before mm-hmm. we recorded today. And one of the things she talked about is how, in the story, Joe, kind of as close to you get to a protagonist in this ensemble novel as you get, mm-hmm. is writing a novel about girls for girls. And that's mm-hmm. what... Louisa May Alcott also was doing like Joe was her you know self insert a little bit Mm -hmm. and that is I think you're right that's one of the reasons that like the story is so beloved yeah it was filling a niche it was filling a niche particularly you know in the literary sphere of 
American writers. Mm-hmm. At the time. Because when did this... This came out in 1869. Yeah, this was right after the end of the Civil War. But yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's really interesting, and this is, if you'll indulge me in my... Please. In my history dork of it all. Um, I think it's really interesting if you look at the history of this story and when the story first made its way into the world immediately following the American Civil War. So, you know, during a time of mass unrest in the country. Um, Reconstruction. And so she was, you know, I'll admit, I don't know a ton about what Louisa May Alcott's writing process is, but I would assume that the the seeds of this story were starting during the course of the war. And then when you look at the times when the adaptations of this have come out in various forms, so I know it was... There were Ooh, you couple... think that, like, the timing is is not coincidental? Well, like, some of the the first two, I think, film adaptations of this came out in 1917 and 1918. And they were silent films. Ooh, I didn't know that. During the First World War, there were a couple of television serials during the 1950s and 1970s. So, you know, that was post-World War II. And then, during the conflicts in Korea and Vietnam, um, and then even this most recent Greta Gerwig adaptation coming out in 2019. When things were just starting to get real bad again. <laughs> when, you know, there was a period of unrest also in America. So I think it's very. It was the last movie I saw in theaters before the COVID shutdown. Mine was on. That was the last movie I saw with, like, my family before COVID shutdown. The last movie I saw in theaters before COVID shutdown was 1917. (laughs) (laughs) The movie about the movie about World War One. I don't go to the movie theater very often, like, maybe once or twice a year. So my mom and I, it was, like, you know, January. We yeah. had, like, it was before we went back to college for spring semester. And my mom and I decided to go see Little Women because we always go see the new Saoirse Ronan movie together. Mm-hmm. Anytime a Saoirse Ronan movie comes out, Jill and I will be in the seats. Mm-hmm. So we went and saw it, and boy, did I cry. Mm-hmm. Um, and loved it. And then... Uh, was kept up with the discourse a little bit about it because you know it was nominated for quite a few oscars and Mm -hmm. like it won the best costume oscar which like debated whether or not it should have because of kind of the artistic liberties they took artistic directorial whatever um that's not what we're really here to talk about i realized should we do a 60 second summary well i don't know do you feel like that's i'm happy to try yeah, I would I would love it if you would like to. Just here, even if it I'm not really too much worried about the timing, but we should perhaps give people an idea of what the story's about in case they're unfamiliar. I'll try. I'll do my best. All right. I'll count you down. How about that? 
Perfect. Three, two, one, go. So Little Women is about um, four sisters named Meg, who's the oldest, Joe, next oldest, Beth, next youngest, and Amy, the youngest. And they're all like four or five years apart, like from the oldest to the youngest. So they're growing up in during the Civil War um, in Massachusetts, and they are good little sisters, but they're like kind of poor, and they live with their mother, uh, Marmy, who they call Marmy. And she, in this book, is kind of like an omnipotent god to them. She just always knows the answer to absolutely everything. Um, Their dad is serving in the Civil War at the beginning of the book, and they make friends with their neighbor, uh, Lori, uh, Teddy, Theodore Lawrence. He's like a boy their age because his grandpa is their neighbor. And uh, especially Joe becomes friends with him. She's not like other girls. I'm just going to keep going over a minute. Um, and then the first half of the book kind of follows them growing up and some not so serious trials and tribulations, like them not necessarily having enough money to get like a lot of Christmas presents or, you know, um, not getting along, you know, people not getting invited to various parties or balls that their sisters are invited to. And Amy, you know, burns Joe's journal, diary, manuscript because of this, for example, um, etc and then towards the end of this uh their dad gets sick so he's gonna come home from the war beth gets uh what's she get scarlet fever she gets real sick she's gonna die so it's things are looking down but then she doesn't she doesn't it's a miracle this part in the movie by the way the greta gerwig adaptation is crazy the way they do it but alas then we get to part two it's like five years later, um, Meg, the oldest, Emma Watson, gets married to Teddy's tutor, um, and she's living her lovely little housewife dreams. Joe is uh, committed to being a spinster forever because she's not like other girls and likes to write. Um, Amy gets to go to Europe with their aunt because she is the pride of the family. Not really, but like she's like, well, none of y'all are going to marry rich, so I guess I have to marry rich. And Beth is like, I'm going to die soon. Which, spoiler alert, Beth dies. It's sad. Um, she dies at, like, age 20 or something. Um, well, uh, Amy's in Europe. Beth is being sad. Uh, I mean, Joe is being sad. Joe turns down a marriage proposal from Teddy, from Lori. She calls him Teddy. Um, I don't know. What else happens? It's just It's just a little limit. It's just their life. Um, Meg has her marital struggles, but, like, not real ones, just, like, money. Amy and Lori get married, um, because he realizes he loved her all along. Or maybe he likes her attention, it's hard to say. Um, they come home after Beth dies, and then everyone lives happily ever after. And Beth, not Beth, Joe, there's so many of the, so many little women. Joe, who swore her whole life she would never get married, all of a sudden, like, falls in love with with a professor that she meets and then has, like, children. But only boys, because she's a hashtag boy mom. <laughs> and she takes her inheritance of an estate left to her by Aunt March, who hated her a little bit, and turns it into a school for boys. 
And that's the end. That was beautiful. Thank you. Did I miss any overarching, like, big plot points? Not that I can think of. Because that's the thing, is it's, an, it's not a lot of overarching plot points, it's a lot of, like, vignettes it's more. It's not plot-driven. Yeah, it's very character-driven, and it's just, like, a lot of, like, there's not a lot of plot points that last more than a couple chapters. Yeah. So, I kind of alluded to it. We posted this on the Instagram, actually, that we took, a, like, a month ago, a BuzzFeed quiz about like which March sister are you and I already knew who like I identify with and who I wanted and I know you already knew who you identified with and who you wanted but who did you get when you took the quiz well let me tell you what I was not expecting the person I got actually oh really yeah no I thought I was share with the class so I mm, didn't really know who I was gonna get but I was like I have a sneaking suspicion that I might get Meg March. No, like I, really I don't thought, see Meg for you. Well, I didn't want to be like, I don't know. It just, it felt weird to be like, mm, I'm probably going to be Joe. Because that feels weird to be like, I'm probably going to be the lead character. Um, Actually, I do see Meg for you a little bit because of like, kind of like, she's like nurturing you know she's like the oldest a little bit motherly and like i kind of get like the nurturing vibe from you because you're like i mean we're both oldest sisters obviously but like i don't know i i kind of see that for you but she's like a little too like i'm just a wee woman and i don't see that for you at all so i got joe when i took the quiz yeah um, and yeah. we got just a real torrent of responses from our close friends and family that were like, well, duh. Like, of course you were. Um, I thought that Hannah was going to get Amy. Yeah, I, I did get Amy. have identified with Amy for a long time. Ever since she said, um, in the movie, she says, I have lovely small feet, the best in the family. I never would have sprained my ankle. And in the book, she says, my feet are pretty, though my nose isn't. And I said, she's me. (laughs) She's a little bit annoying, but she's cute. She's me. And And I got her on the quiz. And she was my favorite in the book. She's very funny in the book. She is. And it's interesting. So I, again, as I've been wont to do, I listened to the audiobook while I read. Mm-hmm. And this audiobook was really good. Um, it was by LibriVox. Mm-hmm. And they had different voice actors read for the different characters. Mm-hmm. Like, there was, like, the narrator voice, but then every other character had their own voice actor. And it was kind of really good because they also changed voice actors as the girls grew older. So it was really clear like younger amy was like young and then like when she was older it was a different actress and i so one props to librivox um, it was a real it was a good audiobook because this is in the public domain so they can do that and it's yeah. free on youtube um but i actually also liked beth's character although i mean even if you haven't don't know the story haven't read this before like she's doomed from the start um 
Like, you could just kind of tell. I mean, she's the only one. She says at the end when she's dying, she's the only one who hadn't made plans or didn't have, like, dreams. Yeah. Like, Joe was like, well, I guess I'm going to be a writer. And Meg was like, I'm going to get married. And Amy's like, yeah, I'm going to be an artist or I'm going to marry rich. And Beth mm-hmm. was like, I like to play piano. Yeah. Well. Um, which is sad. And it does. Another thing that I listened to in an interview I heard today was pointing out in the 2019 movie when Joe is meeting with the publisher of her book, he says that she, when she's getting her novel published, when she's writing it, she has to make sure that by the end, the female characters are either married or dead. And it's yeah. like, well, by the end of Little Women, the female, they're married or dead. Yeah. Which Yikes. is sad. It's it sad, sad that that's the fate of women. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, mm-hmm. Hannah, since this was your first time reading the book, mm-hmm. I almost said in perpetuity. That's not the word I was looking for. In its entirety. Yes. What were your thoughts? I liked it. Um, Like I said, it probably won't be like a reread for me, at least not for like 10 to 20 years but okay like it's just not something that like i can see myself like picking up like casually for fun again um because like it is dense right i liked it i liked almost all of the characters um i felt very much and i kind of said this in my summary that marmy was like almost unbelievable to me Mm mm-hmm like, they all, all of the girls, and Teddy, and, you know, uh, Mr. Lawrence, and all of them have, like, you know, they're all, like, pretty positive characters, but they all have, like, their each their individual shortcomings, mm-hmm. but, like, Marmy has none of that. Marmy is just 100% perfect, and is right. the answer all of the time, Uh, only gives good advice, but doesn't really help just like tells them what to do when they ask for help and if they don't ask for help she's like i will let them learn by not helping and i was like like to me she was almost like unbelievable like i was like oh where can we get like like some humanity from her right can we get all something yeah that was like the one thing that i kind of like was wanting more from other than that i really did enjoy it mm-hmm. um i'm trying to think if i liked part one or part two better i think i actually might have liked part one like when they were kids mm-hmm. um a little bit more because then it just kind of went real fast i think like that's the first part of the book takes place over one year like it starts at christmas and ends at christmas mm-hmm. and then the second half of the book takes place over like five or six or seven years I think the first part of the book is what people find to be, like, com- com- when they describe this as a comfort read. Yeah. They are it's like the year in the life first part. Um, with kind of the, the the problems of childhood, and it's all very domestic. And in the second half of the book, like, they've almost all left home. They kind of have more real-world problems. Um, it goes a lot faster. Yeah. 
Um, so you said that you liked Amy's character in the book. Mm-hmm. You liked Beth's character in the book. Yeah, I really liked Beth. Now, let me ask you this question, because this is, I think, one of the the great arguments in American literature of this time, particularly yeah. pertaining, obviously, pertaining to this book, is what were your thoughts on the Joe-Laurie relationship in the book? I feel, after reading the book, the same way that I did after watching the movie, in that I agree that, like, they're platonic soulmates, they're besties, and that it wouldn't have worked for them to get together, especially the way that Joe was so firmly, like, I will never get married, that's not for me. She clearly didn't see him that way. Right. And, like, for, like, a minute, she tried to trick herself into thinking she did. But actually, in the book, it was a little bit, I don't know. It it was slightly different in the book than I expected or than I had remembered. But I, like, a lot, you know, I know that there's kind of a debate that, you know, should Lori and Joe have, Teddy and Joe have been endgame? Or is it, you know, Lori and Amy? I agree that Lori and Amy... I I prefer them as a pairing. I think it comes out of, I don't want to say comes out of nowhere, but it kind of is rather quick. And partially it could be because, like I said, the second act two of the novel takes place over so many years that there's a lot of jump cuts. Yes. But he is like four years older than her because he's joe and meg's age and amy's a little bit younger than them so when they're kids when she's 12 he's like 16 or 17 right so he is like obviously more naturally friends with joe he hangs out with beth a little bit um amy tries to tag along and like clearly he like sees her like a sister like the rest like he he's close with her like he's close with beth and like he's close with meg but then the way that he's kind of like, Joe, I realized, like, I love you, but I was in love with Amy all along. And it's like, well, I don't think you were. But love was also different back then. So who knows? Um, you know, people's conceptions of love were different. It's not like they were allowed to date for years and decide. All right. Um, you know, they were, they just kind of had to, you know, feel affection and then decide that they would have a good life together and make the leap of faith make it Um, work yeah and I think that they will they would have given each other what they wanted more out of a marriage better than Joe and Teddy would have right even though I think that perhaps Joe and Teddy are like more like intellectually compatible Mm -hmm. I don't know what are your thoughts well, I, I agree. I've always been a firm believer that Joe and Lori weren't meant to end up together in a romantic mm-hmm. sense. I think there's no way they could have happily gone on without being in each other's lives in some way or another. Mm-hmm. And so I think in some way, 
him and Amy. he clearly did have like a big fat crush on her. Sure, him and the Amy. The way that you can, like, the way that you can develop a crush on a friend. Sure, and she him and, didn't. Him and Amy getting married, not only, you know, served the the purpose of you know that actual partnership and the friendship mm-hmm. that they developed when they were overseas and etc. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but also, you think about the fact he's an only child. Mm-hmm. He grew up with them. Like, they're an extended part of their yeah. family. So, like, him marrying Amy just solidified, like, this is keeping what is left of our family together. Especially yeah. in the wake of Beth's death and where, mm-hmm. you know, because they get married overseas and Beth dies while they're overseas, right? That's how that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's they get married because Beth dies overseas and he's going to he's going to escort her back home and there's talk of oh well it's inappropriate for him to be her chaperone so they get married so it's appropriate they were like oh well we were going to just be engaged but we they wouldn't we wouldn't be allowed to travel alone if we were engaged so we right. get married so i guess i don't know this isn't this is of no real import to the story but it's sort of mm-hmm. You hear about, you know, when people's loved one loved ones pass, you know, someone gets taken out of your life and then someone new gets ushered in. So, you know, mm-hmm. they've lost a member of that kind of core March family. Mm-hmm. And because of that, Lori became a permanent presence, like an actual member of their family, which obviously mm-hmm. doesn't make up for the fact that they lost their sister, but... I did like, in the book, it was more clear that, because before he proposes to Amy in Europe, she's kind of being courted by this guy, Fred Vaughn, who, like, was a family friend of Lori's. He'd visited the United States, like, Mm -hmm. five, eight years ago. So, like, she knew of him. He was British. She was being courted by him. She was prepared to marry him because he was wealthy. Um... And in the film adaptation that I'd seen, it kind of came across that uh, Laurie was jealous. Like, he was already into Amy and didn't want her to get married to Fred. He was like, no, don't do it. Like, it's unbecoming of you. Like, And she's like, dude, I don't have a choice. And then she realizes she has feelings for Laurie, actually. And then so she turns down Fred, and then the two of them get together. I actually did like how in the book... Um, it's more of, she, he's like, don't get married to Fred, it's beneath you, like, you know, you should do what you want, and she's like, what I want is, to, a, a, you know, a stable economic life for me and my family, yes. and you're being an asshole about this, and then he changed, he takes that to heart, this is like before he, I think he's even kind of into her, fully, yeah. and he, it's like, he changes his mind and starts to work on changing his character, yeah. And there's there's more time in between. Like, he, like, leaves the country. Like, he goes to Switzerland and does some self-reflection. And then comes back. Right. And, like, after they've had this argument. And then they reconciliate. And then they... And she's like, by the way, I turned Fred down. And I did like that because it was... 
less about I think him being like jealous. Right. It felt less spur of the moment. Yeah, and it was more like, oh, she is. It's not, oh, she's not into me because she's going to marry this other guy. It was, oh, she criticized my character and she's right and I should probably work on right. changing a couple things. And, it, and I, it, I did really like that. It is a more, I think, thoughtful and respectful kind of response to mm-hmm. that part of Amy's character development. And, like, I mean, that scene in the Greta Gerwig version of Little Women with Florence Pugh when she's oh, yeah. painting and he's talking oh, I to her. I love that scene. Oh, I love those scenes. They're gorgeous, but it's but it's a completely different it makes well, the story exactly. different. And so that scene has become really f- famous since mm-hmm. the movie came out what three and a half ish uh, years ago now? Yeah, three three, um, four years ago. Yeah, the part where he yeah. says don't marry him and she goes, you know, you're being she mean. Lays out her well, and but the scene where she's talking to him about about marriage being a, an economic all, proposition, yeah, and how she always knew she would marry rich, and because there is yeah. no way for her to make her own money, and yeah, you see that, which is just stunningly. It's a. It's a. It's like uh, the best scene of the movie, okay, and then again, he says to her, "They're kind of." on good terms again they're having a nice moment and then he says don't marry fred and she's like and she's like why and he goes you know why and she and she's like stop you're being mean yeah i i've spent my i will not do this just because joe turned you down yeah because in the movie that is clearly how it's framed he like a year ago less than a year ago proposed to joe and she said no we're just friends i won't do this with you and Amy's like, no, I will not be your second choice just because Joe said no. Yeah. Um, which fair. Yeah. But it it yeah, it just makes the story different. It is. It's so different. And I think when we're talking about adaptations in general, and I know we mm-hmm. talked about this kind of throughout the course of this month, I don't think It's very hard for me now to kind of pit adaptations of texts against their original text because they're often mm-hmm. doing such completely different things. And, like, I, I love the Greta Gerwig adaptation of this movie. I'm mm-hmm. also a big fan of the Winona, Winona Ryder version. Um, I think that one is incredibly well done as well. Um, but the things that the creative teams involved in all of the adaptations decide to emphasize or little tiny details that they mm-hmm. kind of put emphasis on can completely change the audience's perception of how the story is being told and what the important parts of the story are. So, like, Mm-hmm. You see, when you think of, like, the big scenes of that Little Women movie, the one with Greta Gerwig, you think Florence Pugh's monologue about uh, being an artist and being, being an artist, um, and Saoirse Ronan's monologue at Laura Dern, 
Oh yeah, about about, about how women have women. have passions too. That's and, a really good. Oh, I need to watch that tonight. Oh gosh, it's so good. And what's so heartbreaking about that, and with Joe's character development, and I do. I think part of what makes the Greta Gerwig movie stand out so much for people one, people who have only read the book once, people who haven't read the book at all, but also like for people who have read the book over and over and over and over again um, is a lot of these like really kick-ass parts (laughs) of Mm -hmm. the script of that adaptation are not taken directly, are not verbatim from the original text. Mm-hmm. But knowing about Louisa May Alcott and knowing it's all there in the subtext. It's all there between the lines. Yes. A lot of the it. subtext from <laughs> the novel is put into words in the, 19, the 2019 adaptation, which I did like some of that. Like, like I brought up earlier, there's the part in which the editor in New York says to Joe, in order for me to publish your novel, the main character has to be married or dead at the end. Yeah. And she's like, no, this is my book. And he's like, well, then it won't sell. I won't publish it. And then that's when, only then, does it cut to Joe uh, catching up with the professor, Professor Fair, and and deciding that she's in love with him and she's going to marry him. And it makes it so much more ambiguous about, is that actually what happened or is that just what is coming out? And I, and I like that change because I will say in the book, especially after having seen the movie, it was, to me, it was a sudden like change mm-hmm. and it was it was out of character they yeah. spent the whole they spent 45 chapters 44 chapters of her i'm never gonna get married i'm gonna be alone i wanna that's not for me and then all of a sudden oh but but everyone else has someone and it it might be lonely to live like that and i'll get married to him and and i'll have a son and I was like, what? That's just, like, that's just not Joe. It does um, feel a little bit sudden, which I think is if, why that yeah. that scene with Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, that scene her. gives good context. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. And when she's talking about all of the things that she wants to accomplish and how women uh, are capable kind of, of more than just being in love. It kind of cut me in the gut a little oh. bit today. I was I was in my feelings, and I was like, we really do have dreams and aspirations. I know. Um, and yeah, that part, and I like that in that sense in the film because it makes it ambiguous about whether or not Joe, like the Joe who is writing Little Women in the movie, it's intertextual. Right. Um, the Joe who is the Louisa May Alcott whether or not she actually ended up with the professor and if she's just written this ending to get the book to sell but she's like no but like in my real life I'm I'm not going to do that I'm going to be my independent woman with my dreams and my plans right and I, I do like that that was one part 
like the last like three chapters of the book like i think i texted lizzie when i had like i don't know four chapters left and i was like i don't really know what else is gonna happen because beth already died um amy and laurie already came home they're married like what else is there to happen right and then so we got a whole chapter about meg's like toddlers which was weird because it was written in toddler voice yeah um didn't really care for that and then we got like two uh, we got like two chapters about the professor and how perhaps he would be good for beth and then we get like kind of an epilogue Mm-hmm. In that sense, I'd say the ending was a little bit anticlimactic to me. Yeah. Like, I feel like it could have ended four chapters earlier. I... Yeah. I feel like... Well, this is very interesting, because one of our listeners of the pod, um, my friend yeah. Natalie, has, has sent us a voice message of sorts. But, so basically, she did a deep dive on our behalf. And has essentially spent the last two days watching, like, an excessive amount of Little Women adaptations. And her main uh, conclusion that she has drawn from all of this is that she hates the Meg character so much in everything. Oh, really? And she truly believes that you could have taken out that character from both the original story and all of the following adaptations. And still told the story in as compelling a way. Um, which, I mean... You know, and it does remind me... I don't know that I... Well, maybe I do. It reminds me of what Ian talked to us about in our Twilight episode. About the idea of the sexy lamp. Yes. And now Meg wouldn't necessarily be a sexy lamp. Meg would just be more like a, a plain lamp. Lamb lamp. Because yeah. Meg's not a sexy character. Nope. No offense. But... Yeah, if Meg was just replaced with a lamp, like, the story would be the same. Yeah. I feel a little bit, because Meg isn't, Meg's not rocking any boats, she's not really making any money moves, <laughs> she's the first one to get married, Um, and I'm, like, happy for her when she does. I listened to that scene in the car wash. Yep. But, yeah, and then after that, she just speak like, before that, she's a little bit interesting. Like, she's the older sister. Right. Um, She's kind of a good intermediator between, like, Joe and Amy, who are more fiery. And then as soon as she gets married, or, like, starts getting even, like, thinking about being engaged, she's just, like, matron. Well, and I guess that's kind of the point. Like, yeah. If Joe is supposed to be kind of the narrator. Yeah. Is she telling, is she describing her sister like that after marriage? It's super important. True, if it's from her point of view. Her own beliefs on how marriage changes a woman's personality. However, I've always thought of it as like, like when you're doing a science experiment and you have a control group. (laughs) And Meg is the control? Meg is the control group. Because she is the one who, for all intents and purposes, did the thing you were supposed to do and got married at an appropriate age and had kids. Yeah. And got is, married when she was like 19 and had, is having her household. Had kids right away, has her household near her family. And so all of the um, other, you know, sisters who 
have kind of been their characters have been developed a little more a little more in depth and a little more dynamically. Um, they all go a little bit more off the beaten path. I was gonna say they are. Um, she is the the normal that all yeah. of her experiences are being compared. Like she's following to. in her mother's footsteps. Well, I mean, it's the you know, regardless yeah. of whether it's necessary, there's always gonna be a comparison there between you and members of your family. Like, yeah. not necessarily in a negative way, but, like, I just realized yeah. we can cut this out. But, like, I was thinking about the fact that, like, I'm the age my mom was when she got pregnant with me. Oh, my God. And that's not, like, an unheard of bananas thing, but, like you said, no. I'm just 24. I'm a teenage girl. I'm a teenage girl. I'm only 23 <laughs> years old. Um... I, I had, I, I, oh, I know what I wanted to say. Because actually, there are two points in this book, one in Act 1 and one in Act 2, that are a, really about Meg. Like, a chapter or two that are about Meg, and they're about similar things, but I see them quite differently. So, in Act 1, it's like chapter 12, maybe, I don't know. It's Meg goes to Vanity Fair. And yeah. Meg is invited to kind of more of a high society party it's hard to tell if it's like a weekend or a week or two but she's invited by like some people in the community and it's kind of like her a little bit of like a debutante moment not quite but she goes you know she goes without her family and you know it's she gets to dress up and go to these parties and meet other 16 17 18 year old girls and dance with people and teddy happens to be there and she is kind of having fun in the frivolity of it all and borrowing people's dresses and getting made up. And they call her Daisy instead of Meg. And they tell lies that like, oh, her dad is a corporal in the army and whatever. Yeah. And she realizes, you know, and she gets really caught up in this pretending to live this luxurious life because she's jealous a little bit of these other girls. And then she kind of realizes that like she, they're kind of making fun of her a little bit. And this isn't really who she is. And she, you know, is kind of, um, aspiring for something that's not really hers to have. And I find that, I found that chapter, like, really compelling. And I really felt for her. Yes. And then in the second part of the novel, when she's married to John, and I also don't like the way that, like, she, and again, it's not her fault, but the way that, like, she totally just becomes, like, subservient queen to John. But right. we can talk about that later. That's a story for another day. When she goes shopping with a friend who I think is one of these girls that like she met at this party seven years ago. Yes. And all caught up in everyone else's buying expensive things, she buys like fifty dollars worth of fabric, which is like a gazillion dollars today. I don't know the exchange rate, but it's a really? lot of money. It's like five times more than she's allowed to spend in a month. Mm-hmm. Um, because she, like, is caught up in, well, the other women were buying expensive dresses, and they were like, oh, just do it, you know, buy it, you only live once, it's so gorgeous, it's a great deal. And how guilty she feels after, but, like, the way she tries to justify it to herself and her husband. And I felt bad for her, but, like, in a different way. Yeah. And I sympathized with her a little less. I didn't really know why. So, for reference, um, $50 in 1868 mm -hmm. is worth approximately 
a thousand dollars today. Yeah, so she spent like a hefty, a hefty sum, a hefty sum, and she like didn't tell her husband because you know she's like allowed to spend money as long as she keeps the receipts, and she didn't tell her husband about this purchase until he was like doing the bookkeeping for the month. And was like, hello. And she's like, ooh. And like, he's not rich. Right. Like, he, he's kind of a, they're not in poverty, but like, he's like a poor man, is what they call him, you know? Yeah. And uh. she, I felt less sympathy for her, and I'm not really sure why. Maybe it's because I was like, girl, like, you're an adult, you're a mother, you should know better. But like, also, I totally understand. I mean, she's a mother, but she's also like 23. Yeah. And like I as a twenty as a teenage girl only twenty three years old <laughs> and want to spend more money than I should on things to like you know, it's retail therapy for God's sakes. Like it was her retail therapy. Right. And like let's be honest. It was girls' night and she bought what was ostensibly a dress. I mean, I an hour ago bought myself a bathing suit that was a little too expensive. But like, you know, Luckily, I don't have a husband to to shit on me for it. To do your books. Because that was the other thing that I didn't like. And this was, I don't remember if this is happens in the movie adaptation. But, you know, she has, she spends this money and he's like, okay, well, you spent this. So, like, now I can't afford to get this coat I was going to buy. Mm-hmm. So she, because he's the man, she goes back and sells the fabric back or, like, sells it to her friend who was there. And then goes and buys the coat for her husband. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, fuck that. Well, here's the thing. I would have liked the story a lot more if it had been, like, Gift of the Magi style. You know, 30 pages later, she gets a dress made out of the fabric or something. But here we are. Yeah. Or if it would have been, like, I always, I think all the time of this scene in one of the little house in the prairie books i don't remember which one it's like little house uh on by the shores of silver lake or something or the one before Mm -hmm. that i don't remember it's like when they're like 10 and 12 years old yeah and they're at this church event where the church is giving out like clothes to families in need and laura sees this beautiful coat up at the front and she's like oh like whoever's gonna get that coat is so beautiful and like she's watching it all night as they're handing out the gifts and then at one point she realizes it's been gone and she's like oh they gave it away to someone and then they bring it to her like she's the kid like from you know the christmas giving tree that got that coat Mm -hmm. like it would have been nice yes and that was the thing what meg told meg like sold it back to her friend she was like please buy this off me yeah and don't give, don't then give it to me as a gift. And I'm like, no, Meg, accept the gifts. Yeah. If her friend was like, yeah, I'll buy it for you, and then um, I'll have it made into a dress and gift it to you. Right. I, I like, I was like, and again, I can't blame her because it's 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 of its time. Right. But like the way the so such self sacrificing, and there's a whole chapter about Meg, you know. Um, how she can't give enough time to her husband because she has to be with the babies all day and how he, she's neglecting him and the babies only l- respect him. They don't respect her, particularly the son. They're like, he needs to raise the son. And it's like, the son is 18 months old, but okay. Yeah. Anyway, I, I will get off my soapbox. Be for real. No, that was a good soap. That was a good soapbox to be on. Thank you. Um, 
I don't know. What other thoughts do you have? You're much more knowledgeable on the book than I am. Um, I would just like to say, um, so this book takes place in Concord, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. where Louisa May Alcott is from. It's where her home is. It's where they shot. Well, they've shot a lot of the little adaptations mm-hmm. there, but they shot the most recent Greta Gerwig one there. Um, Concord, Massachusetts, big spot for authors during that time period. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Um, Like for them to set their novels or for them to like pilgrimage there to write? They lived there. Oh, okay. So it was, it was like, it was the literary scene. It was, it was Brooklyn, New York of. It was. It was Louisa May Alcott and famously author of the worst book I've ever read, Nathaniel Hawthorne. And I know some people love Nathaniel Hawthorne. Um, I am not one of them. I hated the Scarlet Letter so much. I hated the I've Scarlet Letter, it, but I trust your judgment. I won't read it. I hated the Scarlet Letter so much that I, for the, like book report I was supposed to write on the Scarlet Letter, after I read it, I just wrote an essay about how much I hated the Scarlet Letter. Well, and that's a report. And I got an A. That was journalism. Um, so it's Hannah, journalism. after yes. having read the book, mm-hmm. do you still feel, or do you feel that the BuzzFeed quiz told your truth in telling you that you were Amy out of all the March sisters? Yes. In fact, well, I actually, I already read it, but I literally was, I screenshotted parts and sent them to Lizzie. Yeah. Of like. Oh, also, R.I.P. BuzzFeed. Oh yeah, I was gonna say, uh, BuzzFeed like effective is like laying everyone off and like shutting down. It's like Easy. like be, it's like being absorbed by like the Huffington Post or something. So it's like gonna be just news, I guess. Yeah. Um. But so, I guess maybe no more BuzzFeed quizzes for us. Who knows? Oh God. Sorry to all the millennials out there. Um. That's sad. I, I want to find what I texted Lizzie. I accidentally test, texted Lizzie 35 times today. Oh my god, it was... I don't want to talk about it. I, my phone glitched. My phone was on glitch mode, stream glitch mode, my NCT dream. I mean, um, Yeah, when Amy said... Uh, I'd like to show my boots for my feet are pretty, but my nose isn't. And I said, she is me. Never was there a character. Silly. That was, that I identified with more. That's a lie. I don't know if there's like, but she's definitely up there. When it's like, it's like, no, I'm in Amy March. I just am. You know, I saw this thing that said, um, Nobody who has ever actually thought they were a Joe is actually a Joe. And anyone who's ever actually wanted to be a Joe is an Amy. I've never wanted to be a Joe, though. Well, right. I'm secure in my identity. I think as, although, Which is confusing, though, because Amy March, I mean, strongly gives baby of the family vibes. Yeah. 
Well, and maybe I do too. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm the oldest, but right. Do I give baby of the family vibes? A little bit. Maybe. These maybe because of your Virgo placements. Maybe. Oh. I'm trying to figure out. Nobody has done the research to figure out when Joe March's birthday is. <gasps> what her zodiac sign is. Yeah, they don't do any birthday celebrations, do they? Except for Marmies. A lot of people are speculating that she is Sagittarius, which is personally offensive to me, but that's okay. Uh, I could see it. On the Little Women Wiki, mm. we just know that Amy March was born in 1850. Amy March is an ENTJ. I cannot relate. Birth date unknown. Enneagram 3 wing 4. Friend of the pod Amber, what does that mean? Amy March Scorpio. I don't know that I see that. I see her more as like... Amy March Enneagram 4 makes sense. But I don't know that I see her as Scorpio. I would see her more... I guess actually maybe. But I was going to see her more as a Pisces or an Aries. Springy and also on the young side of the Zodiac. Because she has that young energy so much. Mm -hmm. Are you gouache-eyeing your face? No, my sinuses are just draining your sinuses. My sinuses are driving me crazy. Oh dear. We should perhaps consider signing off. Yeah. Let us know what your favorite adaptation of Little Women is. Let us know which Little Women character you personally identify as. Particularly our listeners who identify as male. I would be very interested to see which March sister that you are. Don't say Joe. Well, we'll see. You can, but... Don't just say Joe, because she's If you say Joe, we'll know who you actually are. Yeah, you're an Amy. Thank you so much for listening. Mm-hmm. Your homework for this week is to recommend this to some of your sisters. Your neighbor who has a crush on you. Someone who fought in the Civil War. A professor. You can follow us on Instagram at slumberparty.pod. That is uh, one of the best ways to know whenever stuff is going on. We post when new episodes go up. We post when new episodes aren't going up. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a lovely adaptation, April. Um, I was really happy to have kind of a fun book clubbish conversation, mm-hmm. but also movie-ish. Yeah. Um, I liked this format a little bit for yeah. us for the book club, so maybe we could bring it forward. Yeah, and then we'll see you in the month next of May for the month of May, where we just have some fun new things to try, and we'll announce them all next. The week. month of May, it's shaping up to be a very busy. Yeah, it's gonna be busy. Q2. So leave us alone. It's <laughs> leave gonna us be alone. a very busy Q two for the summer party pod. Personally, professionally, emotionally, and spiritually. So in May, we're just doing fun stuff that we're excited about and there's not really a theme yep and you'll hear about it next week yeah hannah oh god you just put me out of my misery and take it away please
This has been the Slumber Party Pod. This episode was edited by Hannah and collectively conceived of as a post-grid crisis by Lizzie and Hannah. This episode has been distributed by Anchor, and we hope you join us again next week. Because I'm not a swimmer. I'm not a girl who likes to be in the water all the time swimming. I can't swim. So that. You can't swim? I can't float. What? Hannah, we've talked about this. No, you don't know how to swim? I understand the physics of it, and I can do it enough to, like, keep myself alive. Like, I can tread water. But my body is not as buoyant as a body should be. Lizzie, all bodies float. Hannah, (laughs) I have several years of swim instructors that would say, you would think. Lizzie, even dead bodies float. Okay, yeah, that's great. You're you're not that special. I I understand. My uncle's the same way. Like, Hannah, I've literally taken swim lessons where they, like, do the thing. Like, you're more dense than the average human? No, that must mean you must be holding yourself to stick. Hannah, I... You have to relax. You need a muscle relaxer. I probably do, but I don't think that has anything to do with the swimming.